only on Crest could we have one of the most successful surfers this country has ever produced on the show. Hear them talk about how they've made a transition into triathlon and then force them to have to sit to listen to Rob talking about his 10k walk into his local village with a couple of beers. Uh, well, you've missold it there. First of all, oh, first of all, how many 10k walks have you done this week? No, uh, that is actually uh, a fair point. Yeah. How many has Emily done this week? Probably none. <laughs> okay. Right. And, I see where you go with this. It wasn't you again. It wasn't a walk to my local village with a few beers. It was a walk through the countryside, passing no one, with some isotonic sports drinks. <laughs> oh, and you were using the weight to sort of you know increase the muscle mass as you were going with you or something. Well, beers are full of uh, full of sugars and salts and all the things you need to replenish yourself after such a, a hefty. Uh, a hefty but it's not really a sport is it a hefty ramble <laughs> hefty ramble i'm um i feel quite motivated though actually after chatting to emily williams to like jump on a bike or go running or go swimming i suppose i might not feel quite as motivated by the time the trainers were actually on or by the time i was looking at jumping in that freezing cold sea um but yeah what an insight into the sort of drive that makes somebody like emily um yeah you know just relentlessly successful um great insight today into that mentality a proper episode for the for the sports people here coming up lots of talk about competing strategies training and stuff like that absolutely loved it let's have a listen Tough question this, how do you be only 22 and hold six national titles, Pro Tour win and a university's championship? The answer by being Emily Williams. We quiz the Newport Shredder on motivation, aspiration, dedication and people and places encountered along the way. And has she ever had a nightmare surf trip? Because our listeners have more from that regular feature in today's Crest. Well, it's an amazing haul. Emily Williams has to be one of the most successful early 20-somethings Wales has ever produced. It's going to be an honour to welcome her to the show. But before we do, a little reminder of who else you have clogging up the airwaves today. To my left, a man who has successfully rebranded himself as a surf author following a shocking fall from grace in the world of reliable hatchbacks. For a long time, he was held in the highest regard by his local Nissan Micro Owners chapter, however, was spectacularly ejected from the Brotherhood after publishing an expose of their initiation practices. It's Tom Anderson. How are you, Tom? I'm all right, yeah. And to my right, it's the man whose town twinning schemes with the Newports of California, Rhode Island and New South Wales were exposed as a ruse to surf more when legendary MR did an autograph tour and was told by word of mouth that the famous Abbot at Willie Point didn't actually exist. My co-host's late efforts to linguistically beguile, changing his hometown's name to the admittedly more exotic Puerto Nuevo, we're in vain, and the twinning deal with Germany's landlocked Heidenheim was renewed for another term. It's Robert Webster Blythe. You've uh, you've gone elaborate this week, Tom. I think you win. I think you win <laughs> the, the riff-off. Um, well, I, I didn't know that you were twin, twinned with Heidenheim, did you? I did. Yeah, we got. I think it's Heidenheim Drive we have here. Uh, oh, is it? As promised, uh, today's guest, we thought hard about what to tell our designer, George, to put on the cover art for Emily Williams. 
Last week, we had Rhino labelled as quadruple Welsh champion, which is two less than Emily has, and she's still got seven years left in her 20s. Six times Welsh champ, this is a surfer who combines style with aggression, agility with drawn-out rail gouging, as well as being uh, well up for taking on the big stuff when the chances show up. Touting her surf credentials does some justice, but Emily, like all of Crest's previous guests, is about much more than this. Surfer and triathlete. One of the most powerful swimmers I've ever seen in action, this girl is a fish in a pool. And with a grit that marks her among the elite sports mentalities in this land, Emily Williams is someone whose life revolves around sport and exercise. Nowadays, despite the fact that she has just as much chance as the next girl of getting to Tokyo in 2021, El Salvador, the ISA and global pandemics permitting, Emily is as likely to be found eating up miles on a road bike, pounding asphalt as a runner, or leaving rivals in her aquatic wake as a swimmer. Having qualified for the GB age group team to go to the Worlds in Canada, Emily is setting herself up as a genuine master of multiple sports. Considering one of those two sports is in itself a multidiscipline event, that means this is truly a good brain to pick for an insight into the success mentality. Well-travelled Emily has surfed and hung out with some very interesting figures from around the sport of surfing. And when you consider she's currently sailing her way through a master's degree, this is actually a bit of a coup on our part. She's got her head buried in books whenever she's not training. So I think the first place to start is with a big thank you. Welcome to the show, Emily. How's the Masters going? Big uh, dead, big deadline this week, I'm told. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really busy at the moment with my Masters. Um, I've normally tested children's fitness, uh, but obviously that's a bit on hold at the moment. So kind of a change of plan with my Masters. And yeah, so a lot of work at the moment in the books quite a bit. Oh, great. Uh, Shemai, Emily, my, my Rob and Gwir, Diolch am ddod heddiw, dyn ni'n gallu parhau yn y iaith cynadlaethol, os ti'n eisiau hefyd? Syniad gwych, dyn meddwl, Tom? Well, I would love to, uh, but we'd better code change to English, uh, lest we leave the merely quintilingual Rob Blythe behind, because if it's not French, German, which he learned through the town twinning scheme, uh, Spanish, which he actually then learned to foil the town twinning scheme or Indonesian. He gets a little bit slow of study. Never mind, eh? <laughs> yeah, so, sorry about that, guys. Dis, despite um, teaching Welsh most days, but at, at a primary level, uh, yeah, I'm not as clued up as you two. I have, however, been learning Finnish as a bit of a lockdown activity. And did you know that there's a, there's a word which basically means getting drunk in your pants? And uh, this tells you all you need to know about Finland, doesn't it? And my current state of affairs for that matter. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah, very, very sharp. I'm looking forward to hearing some more finish from you then, Rob. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, a bit of a drive uh, from the beach, uh, Newport, Emily. Um, good access to the hills, though, for running and riding. Uh, you keep him busy, I imagine. Yeah, I'm really busy at the moment. Just training inside on the bike or going out for some short cycles and, and running quite a bit. So, yeah, it's keeping me sane, doing bits and pieces. So, yeah. How does it compare being indoors on the bike to outdoors? Um, it's completely different. It's a lot harder because you're not kind of freewheeling down hills. You're still paddling the whole time. So an hour indoors is a lot harder than an hour outdoors. But right. it's really good just to, to get it done quickly. And yeah, I enjoy it. It's different, but I couldn't spend all my time on it. Yeah. Well, um, let's get into the thick of it. So we'll start at the very beginning. Um, people often wonder 
how I got into surfing coming from this far up the M4. Obviously, um, mine's through my dad. I imagine yours is probably the same. But tell us, Emily, how did you how did you get into surfing, and how did it became uh, become your main sport? How did you end up discovering that among all the other sports that someone in Wales could have done, that this was the one you had a particular knack for? Yeah, so I started surfing because Dad surfed. We always used to go on holidays to France and just go down for weekends at the beach all the time. So, like even when I was tiny, so Dad would just stick me on his board and I'd just surf on that. Um, it wasn't until I was about seven that I actually started to learn to surf. I think some of my earliest memories are surfing with Hazel Isla in Saunton Sands, and she took me out back on my first ever hardboard, and then surfing with Sam Moore at BC Surf, and that like I, my confidence grew from just surfing with him loads and then when I was about 12 that's when I decided I really want to surf now we went to Barbados surfed a perfect left-hander with turtles with Zed Dason and it's just that's what I, the bug bit me then on that trip and I did so many other sports I did track cycling swimming cross-country gymnastics and it got to the point training for everything clashed um but at the time when I made the decision I'd started training with Lloyd Cole and I really just dad got me he never pushed me into it it was just like oh why don't you go and surf with some other kids your own age and I went to surf with Lloyd and I met friends that I've still got for life now like Kieran Hughes is still my best friend and I met him through Lloyd and I just that surf and I never thought I'd surf to compete until I met Lloyd and and surf with all these other kids and I just really enjoyed it and that's what got me into it really that's really interesting you're talking about being into lots of other sports and obviously the those of us who know you well have seen that you know you are very multidisciplinary um i am interested that all the sports you've mentioned having taken interest in they're all individual sports is there something about the individual sport that that is sort of more suited to your mentality or have you done team sports as well i have done team sports i did netball and hockey in school i did a bit of hockey in uni but i think i definitely prefer ind- individual sports just like being everything's on me if I don't do well it's down to me it's not down to anyone else and I like that aspect of it but then I find I love the team aspect when you go on a Welsh team trip the whole team supporting you I just love that team feel to that but then you are competing on your own and I I, I like that environment definitely yeah it's an odd one in surfing isn't it the way that sometimes it becomes a team event and you suddenly sat alongside people that you know you you used to having personal rivalries with because I, I suppose surfing personal rivalries are big in surfing the obvious personal rivalry that I can think of at, at a surface level at least for you now would surely be with uh, Joe Dennison because you're six times Welsh champ and she is sorry am I rubbing it in is she seven is it yeah she's got seven she's got seven um is that is that a rivalry that you know you you have um or you know or or am I sort of shooting in the wrong direction there and there are other people that you have big personal rivalries with I guess it is a rivalry with Joe, but I think I'd call her a really good friend um I worked with her in surf Snowdonia she was my boss for two summers um and I'm I really got to know her quite well on the team trip to the worlds in France about three years ago and it was really nice that trip because in a way, we'd only ever met at the Welsh, so it was just a rivalry. But I actually got to know her, and like she's lovely. She looked after me. She, she gave me loads of advice, and she's someone I have looked up to when I was younger. So to actually get to meet her and be friends with her, I technically it's a rivalry, but I definitely call it a friendship as well. And I really miss not having her in Norway on the um, in the Euros. 
that was a, a tough trip, just me, the only girl. So, yeah, I missed her on that one. Were you at that Euros in France, Rob? Was that the one you were at? The Worlds, that was. And I, I was there, yes. It was, uh, it was a really fun trip. Joe had a bit of a shocker on that, didn't she, Em? She yeah. uh, shoulder dislocation whilst warming up for yeah, one of their that was Yeah, so tough to see it actually happen as well. And she was so gutted. She was surfing so well. She definitely would have gone through that heat. And she just, yeah, gutted. I love yeah, how warmly you talk about arrival, though, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of, oh, she was surfing so great. How do you change that mentality when you're in, in the water against her? Does it begin before the heat? Is it just during the heat and then a handshake afterwards? I think when I surf in a heat, I don't really think, I try not to think about what other people are doing. So I try and just think about my own surfing and my own wave. So I guess I don't really process what she's doing and that she's in the water. It's just more me and my own mind space basically i think that's uh that's interesting i do the exact opposite i watch everybody's waves and i get caught up in paddle battles with everybody i used to and it just didn't work for me i just needed to to take my mind away from it and just be in like a happy place and then i perform a lot better so just try not to think about that sort of thing control the controllables that's good i i I do do this in in (laughs) when just surfing normally i always you know like a set's coming in i i always paddle over the first three waves of a set just thinking there's going to be something better behind and i think that goes into competition as well i'm always like oh maybe there's a better one behind so i'll always that's how you end up getting like in scrappy paddle races with everybody isn't it <laughs> yeah definitely so obviously being 22 it's entirely realistic that you could be aiming to add to that hole um do you think about surfers from the past as well and and comparing yourself to them you know we talked about goats didn't we rob in our first episode of press you know as in like the american acronym the greatest of all time do do you think about catching people like linda sharp or um pj pete jones um or um were were those guys sort of wins of a a different era because i know lots of the sort of modern surfers would see it as like that you know competition surfing is a kind of a different game nowadays yeah i think it is different nowadays and I wouldn't really say, I don't think I ever aimed to have this many. I always remember when I was training with Lloyd, he made us write on a piece of paper what our goals were. And my goal was to just win a Welsh title and to go to Worlds. And just to actually get that Welsh title and now get six, I feel like I've already accomplished my goal. So anything extra, like I'd love to win more, but anything extra is a bonus for me, I think, definitely. So how, how do you stay motivated when the goals are met? I just set myself mini goals, I think. And yeah, just just trying to enjoy my surfing at the moment is my goal. So if I'm enjoying my surfing, then I'm happy. And when I'm enjoying it, then I compete well. So. And then I suppose there's adding and picking off other events besides the Welsh. Um, yeah. So the the student nationals uh, being one of them, you've won that. Was that 2018, was it? Yeah, 2018, that one. Yeah. That was a, an interesting event. Going on from what you guys said to Rhino last week, it's eye-opening, definitely. Um, but he said about a, a minibus going down from Swansea, now there's a whole busload. And I, really? there wasn't even room for me on the bus this year, so I went down separately. And, yeah, it's, it's eye-opening. <laughs> That's it. You, you, you mentioned there uh, having Rhino on last week and talking about it. And you are indeed our second guest in a row to hold that title. Something that uh, yeah. stings Tom and I. We got second and the third, respectively. Yeah, me in particular, because Rob's a second and I was a third. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I was, like, was illegitimate. Away the... There we are. 
<laughs> the worst student surfer in the room second week going the virtual long room. Um, was it the, was it your virtual room was that the same year that you won now this was an event i i saw how stoked you were with this and um the your first uk pro tour event as well was that 2018 i think yeah. yeah that was like the week before i think or something like it was like a few weeks before they were in quick succession yeah Oh, was it? Yeah, I was up there the um, the day you guys were all arriving to um, to train for that. And it was quite funny because they booked the pool largely out, hadn't they? And so almost no athletes at all were able to get in and have a practice wave. Yeah. And it was a windy weekend as well. It was a tough wave to surf in a contest, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially every so often it throws a wave that's a bit funky. And like that last wave of the final was a funky wave for me and just surfed it as I could. But yeah. And you won it by having to sit and wait for the score (laughs) for your rival to come in, didn't you? Yeah, that was so nerve-wracking. So nerve-wracking. What did she need? Well, so she went 2-0 up at the start. So I was surfing against Emily Curry. So she was two waves up to me. And on the third wave, I managed to claw one mark back then I called the next wave back and then it came down to that final wave and <sighs> mine was a real funky one and I surfed it as well as I could but I wasn't super happy with it it was um, like a three or something wasn't it three yeah. point six or something yeah and it was like oh that's a shame you know to to lose that way but you know we'll see what what Emily does now and I think she fell just after takeoff and everyone because I've worked up there for two years everyone up there feels like family so everyone was just like, everyone looked at me and were cheering. And I was like, did that actually just happen? Like, and they just announced, yeah, blue one, blue one that wave, you're the winner. And yeah, it was so weird. It's such a, a different contest style, but it's actually pretty cool. So it's like winning it at your home break? Yeah, definitely. This is the closest I'm going to have to a home, a home comp, especially UK Pro Tour wise. So to win it with everyone there. Like when I think about winning, I don't remember actually winning. I remember the support from everyone. Like it was just incredible. It did feel like I was at home. It's funny that you mentioned about funky waves there as well, because I've, as we discovered last week, I've never been to uh, the the wave pool in Snowdonia. My weekend was cancelled because it broke down. But when I think of wave pools like Bristol, like Snowdonia, I think of the waves being consistently the same. Yeah. And wh- when you say a funky wave, what what did that mean? Was it fat? Did it swing wide of something? Yeah. Sometimes there was just kind of one wave in a set and it would be a little bit fatter would just not quite break right against the wall I don't don't really know why it happened it's just kind of every so often it would throw one of those waves at you so but I think surfing it for two summers I kind of learned that and just learned to accept well you surf it differently I think people do expect it to be the same wave every time but it's actually not you know you do need to adapt to each wave so because a lot of people said to me oh you've got home advantage and yeah, okay, I know the wave and I know it changes, but I don't go on to that wave thinking I know what I'm going to do now. I still treat it as if it's a normal wave. And I think that's where a few people go wrong with it is that it's actually not the exact same wave every time. Interesting insights. I assume, Emily, you've had to go on the, the wave in Bristol. Yes, I have. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. It was good. And would you have an experience of both and great insights into the, the Sir Snowdonia wave? Do you feel that perhaps the the um, the Bristol wave being created is might put some pressure on Surf Snowdonia uh, in terms of number of visitors or in, 
how do the waves compare? I think it might put a little bit of pressure on them just because of the location. I think Bristol's a lot more accessible for most people. Like it's literally 20 minutes down the road from me. So I'm going to end up going to surf there rather than driving the four hours up to, to North Wales. I think the waves, I think they're two different waves. Um, I think the technologies, you can tell that they're different. Um, I don't know. It's di- it's weird. They are different. I think there's aspects of both of them that I like that the other option doesn't have. So can't really pick a pick a favourite there, I don't think. It's funny. I reckon you spend about the same amount of time up and riding on your board in an hour in both places. But because the Bristol one makes you paddle back out, you kind of feel like you've done more surfing in a weird yeah. way. But it's actually pretty much the same uh, wave count, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I think the Bristol one's definitely more tiring because there's a lot more paddling in it, mm. which I think a lot of, when I surfed it, it was like one of the first days it opened and a lot of people who just kind of didn't really expect it to be like that were in a bit of a shock. But because I knew from surfing Snowdonia, oh, it's quite tiring. I booked mm. two hours, but I booked the one in the morning, one in the afternoon, so I had time to recover in between the two sessions because I just knew it was going to be tiring. I want to ask you about um, how sponsorships work nowadays, uh, Em, because uh, it's nice to have someone younger on the show. You know, the the, the um, experience that I've certainly got of the way that world works, and I think probably Rob as well, I don't want to sort of tie you with the aged brush too much, Rob, is very different to yours because I suppose the model was you get some contest results, you send them to a company or, you know, and, and then you get a shot in a surf mag with a sticker in the right place. And these were the things that kept sponsors sweet. Um, and now there's a lot more sort of onus on the surfer to organize and run their kind of social media presence. So it could, it doesn't really matter if a mag editor is choosing your shots um, as long as you've got someone filming or someone taking photos and you've got access to stuff. And um, I'm just interested in your perspective on how that that works. Have you sort of got advice to um, young up-and-coming surfers who are looking to build a profile? And is it something you enjoy doing or would you rather just be sort of getting on with the athleticism of it? I think it is quite important now to have a strong social media presence. I don't necessarily enjoy it. I kind of forget to update things all the time. So I'm a bit useless. I think I think I'm halfway between... I remember not having social media and remember when I started surfing, I didn't have Instagram. So I think I'm in that middle phase where I remember not having it. And now it's so important to everyone. And I think when I was growing up surfing, I always wanted my photo in a surf mag. Whereas I think now, yeah, I think now it's more, they want more likes and more views on videos. So I think it has changed quite a lot. And I, I do love social media. Like without it, I wouldn't have been able to be coached by Tim Jones. I wouldn't be able to keep in touch with all the people I've met across the world from comps and holidays, you know, like Barbados, Germany, Ireland. I keep in touch with them through social media. And without that, I wouldn't get that chance. So it is really good. And I've had opportunities come through social media. Like I worked with S4C because they saw I could speak Welsh on Twitter. And Mm. I ended up doing my own little TV show, show with it. So it's like, it is really good and it's really important. But I think sometimes now it's taken that social media is better than contest results sometimes um i think my advice to people is just to not let it take over and just to carry on enjoying the sport for what it is 
and don't worry about the likes and and all that i don't think that's as important as just actually enjoying it i hope our local groms are listening to that advice <laughs> mm-hmm. and through uh, social media and we of course know about your affiliation with hive swimwear and i understand that through hive you met and trained with uh, france's own joanne de Fay. how was that yeah, that was pretty awesome to to spend the day surfing with her. And it was just after Fiji, um, Fiji comp on her first year on tour. She won and, that CT, didn't she? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she was just telling us about it and just to hear, like, what she thinks. And, and I hear everything she had to say about the world tour was just, just pretty cool. And surfing, we were surfing at Hosoka and she was just, like, just talking to me, giving me some, some hinters. And that was just really nice to to surf with someone at that level and and then three years ago when we went to the world in France I had my first heat of the event with her and after the heat she obviously beat me number four in the world at the time but she after the heat she remembered me and she gave me a big hug and I was just so excited that someone at that level actually remembered me so yeah she's just so lovely and and it was a great opportunity from Hive to do that so yeah that's definitely one of my favorite memories. I reckon Joanne DeFay's barrel at Surf Ranch is to this day the best barrel that anyone has got in Surf Ranch, including Kelly Slater. You know, you guys know the one I mean. I know the one. Yeah, I know the one. <laughs> and uh, besides Joanne DeFay, then you've met and surfed with um, a few of the Roxy team, um, and that was that a little bit before the Joanne DeFay experience. Um, yeah. Who, who was there from Roxy? So that was 2012. I was really lucky. I went to spend a week at the Quicksilver Board Riders house. Um, it was just wow. like a week of surf. And Leanne Curran, Lisa Anderson, Rosie Hodge, and Tanika Hoffman were all there. And I was, I hadn't been surfing that long really at the time. And that was so exciting. I spent the week with them. And a lot of, a lot of the people on the trip were like learning to surf. And I was the only one that could actually surf and go out back. So they took me out back for the week and just surfed in France with them and that was just so cool to be able to do and yeah because I'd read Lisa Anderson's book before that and just actually meet her was just so cool. She seems really cruisy but has she got a kind of a a gritty side? She's definitely cruisy. Is she? Yeah. Yeah. Cruising to four-wheel titles. (laughs) Amazing and can I ask about some of the other important figures in your life then because you've mentioned Lloyd um you mentioned sam moore um tim jones though has been a really important figure in um your development as a surfer hasn't he yeah definitely tim's played a huge part in my surfing definitely i i wouldn't be the surfer i am without him and i'm so grateful for it i started um, we met through just like links with channel coast so that's like my local club and they've been so helpful all of the club they're like a huge family so like Liam, Nate, they've all helped me throughout the years, but that's how I got the to meet Tim. Um we started coaching me and yeah, I've spent two summers out there in Lanzarote with him, coaching and working. Um he's making me taste these disgusting like nutri bullet shakes every morning of the summer. <laughs> but just, you know, eat healthy, you have to eat healthy and yeah, he's just a huge impact on my life and I've got my AS results when I was in Lanza the second time and I was absolutely gutted I didn't get the results I wanted I was so upset so he took me out for steak and was just <laughs> like to cheer me up he just had to deal with me being really sad you know, food is one of the first things I think about when I think about Tim actually because you know you mentioned Nate there uh, Nate, Nathan Phillips 
Um, <clears throat> I remember this is going back away. Tim, when he was before he moved to Lanza, was very involved in WSF coaching. And when I was a grommet, and uh, he put on a session in Sophia Gardens for the day. And I remember it was um, Dan Harris, Nate Phillips, myself, um, Chris Sage, and Colin Garrett. And uh, we had a lunch break in the city of Cardiff for the day. You know, and we went out on lunch, and we all came back with McDonald's. And Tim went mad at us, and he was like telling us. All. But the stuff he taught us all, every single person who went to that day, the stuff he taught us in a classroom. You know, and these are guys who didn't like school, were naughty in school, wouldn't listen in a classroom, looking at all sorts of different scenarios in heats looking at how to do each individual turn looking at how to train and in particular looking at how to eat at the right times and the right amounts and all that kind of stuff tim genuinely was i think the um the most influential person for me in terms of coaching as well there was something thorough about him that just stood out so much um and it made such a massive difference definitely um, he he took my surfing right back to basics. He got me skating to help with my technique. And one of the first things he ever said when he saw me surfing was that I looked like a spider on acid because I was just <laughs> all over the place. And he did. He took my surfing back to basics and improved it so much. And yeah, he's just awesome. He's more like family now than than a coach, to be honest. Mm. And he's stuck in Sri Lanka. Yes. Yeah. Currently stuck in Sri Lanka under lockdown worst places to be stuck isn't there um and you you've been riding as i understand it for quite some time uh for surfboards of course shaped by by lucar yeah. and what we hear from um people with who've garnered such success as, as you have in surf competition that they rely of course on their equipment to a large extent and what kind of role has luke played in that for you luke's played a massive part in my surfing from straight from when we went to him for the first time I got a board he he actually really listens to your feedback and stuff so you tell him something oh you know I feel like this with this board and I I like this but I don't like this and he really does take it on board and he just doesn't go oh well I think you should just ride this like he really does think about it and he tries the best for you as like an individual athlete not just well everyone else who's a girl rides this so like he's been so good with that just really taking stuff on board and he's just so supportive. He really is. So, yeah, he's played a huge role in surfing for me. He's uh, an interesting one, isn't he? Because I remember when he first kind of appeared on the on the scene. And he was actually, a, he made a very quick transition, didn't he, from being a, a bodyboarder to a surfer to a surfboard shaper. Or yeah. within, it seemed within a matter of like two or three years. And then yeah. he garnered that reputation, of course, as being one of the, the finest shapers in the country. Yeah, really, really interesting. Yeah, he's the best. And... And he just loves surfing as well. We went on a team trip to the Mentawi Islands and watching him surf every day and froth over it. And he's like, I'm not the best, but I just love it. And and that's the attitude to have with it all. And he's just, yeah, he's the best. I'm really glad to be supported by him. How's the Mentawi Islands? That's got to be my favourite trip ever by far. We went over as a team to stay in this um, resort, like island place on the island. And it was called Matungu. And we were kind of advertising it. It was just being created by like a British doctor. And um, he made the place. And we went out and stayed. And we had Sharpie from Carve taking photos. We had Mr. B making a film. And after it, there was it was in Surf Girl Carve. There was a London Film Festival video. And then Mr. B even made me my own little short edit. And 
it was just the best trip ever. The the people I got to go with just made it. Um, yeah, definitely. It was just one of the best trips to surf out there. I'd never been before to like Indo or anything, and it's definitely my favorite trip. Good waves. Yeah. Well, we didn't have like amazing waves, but for me at the time, I think it was perfect. Like I've seen the video. It looks pretty good to me. Yeah, I just enjoyed it. We were surfing this like little right hander all the time, and it was just so much fun. I loved it. So that was a team trip. Yeah, yeah, team trip. Yeah, another person, uh, Emily, that I know has been uh, extremely supportive to you and Tom, as it goes, is friend of the show Nick Kluwer from uh, Elusive Surf. Now, I'm right. In, I think right in thinking that you, Emily, are a team rider, whereas Tom is a brand ambassador. So it kind of let, lets him off the hook a bit there with uh, in terms of his surfing. Uh, and arches. yeah what's Emily perhaps you could shed light on what's the difference there I didn't really know there was a difference <laughs> that, that's the right answer <laughs> that Nick's just been so supportive with everything like even with my try stuff like he's been keen to support me in that as well and and he's always said to me don't worry about results just enjoy it and that's really nice to have that it's I don't feel like it's a weight on my shoulders it is just a really good partnership with a different company and, you know, he's local to me, so I'm supporting locally. And he's just so good with everything he does, you know, sustainable, all that sort of thing. It's a brand that I'm happy and, like, really enjoy representing. And, Tom, you'd probably say exactly the same thing. Yeah. Well, well I'll move us on because Emily then uh, very briefly mentioned that Nick was very supportive of your endeavours in triathlons. And how did that come about, Emily? How did you get into triathlons? I basically just started so all my friends in uni ride bikes and I was like oh dad rides loads as well so I was like I want to just start riding again because one of the sports I did when I was younger was track cycling so I thought I I love it I still used to watch it Tour de France every year I used to follow all the cycling so I was like I'll just get back into it and I remember when I was really young Sam Moore said to me you should do triathlon like you do all three sports individually why don't you just put them all together and I never really thought about it so I just started doing it for fun joined the uni tri club team and did my first try about a year and a half ago and absolutely love it fun because i always think it's like really <laughs> grueling <laughs> i enjoy it yeah i don't enjoy the running but i do enjoy the rest of it <laughs> <laughs> that's okay a third of it i do enjoy a third of it you must enjoy that feeling of like you must enjoy the burn then yeah and i enjoy I, what i really like about it i started after a few bad contest results it was like it was really good to do do something different and just like I can see myself improving with each each race and each training session because times get quicker because I think with surfing you don't get that as much it's more like you can have a bad surf but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not any good anymore but you can or you have a good surf but you haven't necessarily improved and I think that's different with the sport it's like it's measurable and I actually really enjoy that just like hitting those like little goals um and yeah, I love it when you just finish a race and you're just completely wasted, but you feel it's type two fun. You don't enjoy it so much when you're doing it, I suppose. But once you're done, you're so happy that you've done it. That's a great because you say type two fun. Yeah. That's a great, I like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can uh, attest to that. I went for a very long walk two days ago and, uh, you know, similar levels of athleticism <laughs> on display. <laughs> a long walk. It was a long walk. It was nigh on 10, kilo- 10 kilometres. But I, I did have uh, some beers with me. <laughs> hydration. So that was fun. 
Yeah. You um, did the Red Bull Neptune steps as well. Uh, um, that sounds like a pretty difficult thing to do. But it's like, was it the Fourth and Clyde Canal in eight, eight degree water, Glasgow, full of rocks, muddy yeah. shopping trolleys? Yeah, shopping trolley. The day before our race, they pulled out a shopping trolley. Um, so that's it was just something really different. And the tri club, the uni tri club were going up, and I thought, oh, why not? I'll just enter this race. It, it seems like fun. Like I enjoy swimming. That's probably my favorite part of it. Let's, let's give it a go. And I got there and realized the enormity of what I'd signed up to. And as you're climbing up the canal, you climb up like little rock, rock climbing walls and rope ladders and the water's tumbling on top of you. And I'm like, oh, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And everyone was coming out like, oh, it's absolutely freezing. It's so cold. And I went in in a 4-3. And you do like an acclimatization process. So they like put you in for like a minute. And I sat there and I was like, looked at everyone on the side. I was like, why are you all moaning? It's cold. It's fine. It's just like going for a surf at the moment. Like it's, it's no different. And I just absolutely smashed it because I was just used to the cold water, I think. And I'm so like, I could just pull myself up all the obstacles. So I actually really enjoyed it. Got through to the finals. Um, and yeah, it was great fun. I didn't have any mitts. No, I only had mitts, so I didn't have any actual gloves. So I had to borrow the boys' gloves. And as I was swimming, the gloves were coming off my hands. So I was just like basically slapping the water with these wetsuit gloves on that were like five sizes too big for me. But yeah, it's a great event. And I signed up for it again, so I must have enjoyed it. It's good. And Emily, uh, you qualified for uh, the Great Britain team, uh, Great Britain age group team, and you're meant to be off to Canada. What's the, uh, of, of course, under current circumstances, that's. I assume it's off the cards. What's the what's the plan for rescheduling that? Yeah, so I found out about a week ago now that it's been, all been cancelled. Uh, well, it's been postponed at the moment, and they're looking to hopefully rerun it next year. Um, so, like, the Canadian government just said there's going to be no more gatherings of more than 15 people. So it's kind of out of the hands of the British team and out of the hands of the triathlon federations. It was just like Canadian government said, no, it's just not happening. Um, so they're in the process of deciding whether they'll roll our qualification processes over um, and whether we'll actually still race in Canada. So the the world's next year was supposed to be in Bermuda. So it's whether they roll our qualification on to compete mm. in Bermuda or they keep it as Canada. I don't know yet. Um, so that's all still a bit up in the air. Well, I'm sure you'd qualify again, but fingers crossed it, it does just roll over to save you. Yeah, so, like I say, Like I say, from one athlete to another, I was rather... I was tired after my 10k walk, and I imagine it's the same for you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you, just, you were saying the 10k walk, right? Let me just clarify. We're talking about a 750 meter swim, a 20k ride, and then a 5k run. Is that are those the distances we're talking here? Yeah, that's a sprint distance trial. Yeah. yeah. So I'm actually doing more than uh, you in terms of <laughs> yeah, definitely. on the old two legs. <laughs> so uh, Emily, you, you uh, your degree. Uh, yeah. is in in sport and exercise science and uh, your master's research as you were telling us earlier is into children's fitness is that a career path in the making yeah I think this has made me really realize that I love just working with kids and and I've got a real interest in fitness so to actually combine those two passions is really cool to actually be able to to analyze children's fitness and yeah, I think it's definitely a career path. Something to to involve more children in sport, or even like teaching, is something that that I'm really interested in doing. I think definitely. And 
let's come back to sports then. Um, goals for the future then? Are they primarily in surf or are they primarily in triathlon or are they a bit of both? I guess a bit of both. I think this year I really wanted to compete in the Welsh again, do the British and try and qualify for the world's team to go to El Salvador. Because at the end of the day, that was possible Olympic qualification. So if I'd never tried that, I would have been kicking myself. So that was definitely a big goal this year. Um, so I guess that goal is, still exists. It's just pushed back to whenever that can actually happen. Yeah, they think at the moment that the Worlds is December, don't they? So then obviously the Welsh, then the British would have to run before that in some way to get yeah. to, to qualify through. The Olympic path, though, it is still open, isn't it? There's every reason yeah. um, you've got to get into would you have to get into the top 30 in El Salvador but then anyone above you who's from a country that's already used its slots wouldn't qualify isn't it so basically you can finish behind any Aussie American um yeah Kiwis because they got Paige Hareb and uh South Africans French so lots of surfers above you would be ineligible if you got to El Salvador wouldn't they yeah yeah I think it'd well, you'd have to see who entered, really, but definitely I think there'd be a lot that have already qualified or places that have been already been taken up by other countries. So, yeah, it's mm. worth a go. Two countries, isn't it? There's a cap. Yeah, yeah. And are there any places you'd still like to go to in terms of travel within surfing? I really want to go to Australia. That's somewhere I wanted to go for years. So I'm hoping maybe after uni I'll get a chance to go there. And you're, you're widely... You're widely travelled already, Em. Where's where's been your uh, your favourite place? Where's the weirdest place as well? I think, as far as a favourite trip, it was the Mentawis. But the the most interesting and favourite place I've been, I think, is a toss up between Ecuador and Norway. So Ecuador went for the my first ever Junior World Games, and that was just so it was such a different country. It was the first time I'd been to anywhere like that. The actual comp site was in an army barracks and. Yeah, it was just so surreal and like the water was alive that the one day we were surfing in the morning, we got up really early for a dawny and dad was on the rocks filming and um, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm done then, you know, what's breakfast, I'm going to get out. And as I was walking out the water, dad was like, no, 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 just go and catch another five minutes, you know, go and catch some more waves. And as I'm paddling back out, everyone's trying to catch the same wave and they're all like paddling on top of each other and I was like, you know, what's going on? And everyone was just shouting and screaming and it got to the point someone said to me, there's a shark. And everyone was trying to scrabble out the water, climbing on top of each other because there was a shark in the water. And we were all climbing up the rock face trying to get away from the shark. And Dad had just gone to the table, yeah, just catch some more waves. It's fine. Off you go. So it's just a completely different place to, to go, really. But, yeah, I, I, it was really interesting to go there, definitely. I love how you've come up with such opposite as, opposites as well then because you say that a trip that stood out for you was that trip to Norway. Uh, I think was it, it was Stavanger and then the Klepp area, wasn't it, where the, the event was in um, Bure, the beach yeah. break. Yeah. A really tough beach break, lots of paddling, full of jellyfish. Was it full of jellyfish when you were there? No, it was fine. No jellyfish when I was there. Was it, it was autumn though, was it? Yeah, it was October so, time. Oh, it was cold and bleak. Yeah. So, so what stands out? about that then because I suppose you know the surfing experience in Norway is tough yeah I think just dry it's such a pretty country and it's a shame I didn't get to see a bit more of it but like just flying in over the country looked out the plane window and you can just see like all the little little bits and pieces all the all the fords everything I just it's such a pretty place and it's a shame I didn't get to see more of it we didn't get a lot of like travel days to just explore but going through Mm. the little villages it's 
kind of what you imagine Norway to look like. But yeah, I think I'd definitely like to go back when it's like snowing or something. I think that'd be really cool. At surfing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, we've we've done it again. We've got carried uh, into thinking about surf travel. I don't know what's wrong with us. Um, since the government reckon that there might not be uh, surf tripping for a while yet, I think we need to get this stoke switched off before we can close out this episode. Uh, Rob, over to you. Yes, it's time for a surf trip nightmare. This week, a tale sent in to us from Anonymous. Oh, that sounds good. Or I bad, know, even. It? Well, we'll... Uh, We'll perhaps see why or hear why. Gentlemen, I'm pretty much the definition of an average surfer. So I was really excited about five or six years ago to go on my first proper surf trip abroad. I'd heard countless tales from my mates about crystal blue barrels with only two or three people in the water. So I needed a piece of the action. On my first morning in Portugal, my cup was frothing over. There was swell forecast and there wasn't any wind. My dream seemed to come true as I changed into my wetsuit just above Tunnel in Segresh. There was head-high clean lines rolling in and it seemed to be barreling and looked pretty heavy. What's more, the padlet looked easy to me. It was low tide, the waves were breaking pretty close to the beach and there were only two or three bodyboarders in. I had no idea what this meant as I sat in the lineup waiting for a set, reveling in my good fortune with still dry hair. After only a minute or so, a bomb of a right-hander came through, so I paddled hard for it. I made my bottom turn to see a long, high wall lining up in front of me. It was obviously heavier than anything I'd surfed before, but I held my nerve, held my line, and went for my first ever tube. With Tom Anderson's tales of getting shacked in Indo running through my head, at that moment, I was certain I was getting my first ever tube on my first wave of my first proper surf trip. Because that's what happens on surf trips, right? Things went wrong pretty quickly from there. I found out what heavy, nearshore barreling waves and bodyboarders means when you're checking the surf. Immediately after I decided I was getting the dream tube, the face of the wave turned light brown and sand and gravel started getting dredged off the bottom. I started losing speed. As I ground to a halt, my board got sucked out from under my feet, turned over in the face of the wave, and a fin went through the top of both of my feet. Oh, I was no. then dragged off my, seat, my, my, off my feet myself, sucked over the falls, and smashed face first into the gravelly bottom only about 10 metres from the shore. <laughs> when I started to regain my senses, I knew that I had to get out of the range of the next wave, and quickly. As I started to crawl to the beach through the fast-flowing shingle, I couldn't feel my right foot at all. My left foot was in agony, but I carried on crawling regardless, dragging my board behind me. This is, it doesn't make for pleasant reading. I, I, reached, <laughs> I reached the beach with an, without another trip over the falls, just a few unceremonious floggings in the white water. However, by the time I reached the beach, the pain in my left foot was the least of my worries. My previously numb right foot might as well have been on fire. I pulled myself into a sitting position. My left foot was a bloody mess from a few cuts and scrapes, some worse than others, but that was the least of my worries. There was a clean slice four or five centimeters long through the top of my right foot, which was gaping open about a centimeter. It wasn't bleeding that much. It was sort of just white and fatty looking flesh. My fin had basically gone over the top of my foot and cut down to the bone. Oh, this is gross. I, I've, had a few, I've had a few cuts like this where you can just, you just see that white fleshy stuff this person refers to. I limped off and started to pull my suit down and it was full of grit, shingle and pieces of gravel the size of golf balls, which had left various marks and scuffs all over me. 
When I got back to the guest house where I was staying, my landlady at Casa Grill, five stars on TripAdvisor, highly recommended, helped with disinfecting my wounds and pulling out various bits of grit that were stuck in there. It wasn't pleasant, but she had to rub extra salt in the wound with, if you were my son, I would call you a very stupid boy. I don't know if she realised that she basically called one of her guests a stupid boy, but given the circumstances, fair enough. A couple of days later, the wind picked up and the swell dropped off. I did manage a couple of small windy surfs at the end of the week, but I'd missed the swell and my pride had taken a more severe beating than my feet. Well, well. Quite, uh, again, after Rids last week, Anonymous this week seems to have missed the best part of their trip through uh, illness or injury. That's what we want to hear about. Ooh. <laughs> Emily, have you, uh, have you had any surf trip shockers? No, I don't think I have, to be honest. I think the worst one, we went to Sri Lanka to, to visit Tim, and we got there and our luggage didn't get there, but it got there next day. So apart from that, not had any, oh, any bad you, surf trip. No, I know. I've been really lucky. scratch. you got plenty yeah. of time. Yeah, yeah, you're young. You're young. <laughs> You've got nightmare surf trips ahead of you. Well. Um, thanks so much, Emily. We, we've done our best uh, to switch off any unwanted stoke there. Listeners, we're still collecting them. And even if not read in the immediate future uh, shows, we're building up to a Bonanza standalone episode of Anti-Stoke Disaster Tales. The email is castcrest at gmail.com. And you can also send us ideas through Instagram, especially if you have some pictures to go with it. Yeah. Who misses surf trips? Not us. So. Uh, Emily, Jalkan Varam Vord Arasho, T Wedi Vord and Gwesta Arbenig. You've been a very special guest indeed. Thank you so much for coming on, Crest. Thank you for having me, guys. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, if you've enjoyed listening to Emily, please tell your friends and family, uh, share, and also have a look at our steadily emerging back issue of interviews, which can be obtained via Spotify, YouTube, or through Apple Podcasts. In the coming week, Rob and I will be chatting with the Pembrokeshire shredder Harry Cromwell, who, when he's not blazing a trail as one of the country's all-time most exciting surfers to watch, is also a pretty interesting figure in other ways. Deep sea fisherman, father of four, and he's even made forays into the world of reality TV. Who in Wales could forget the yellow wellies in which he and Mel got married on BBC Three's Don't Tell the Bride? We'll ask him about all this and more. Until then... As always, thanks for your time. Have a good week and Kuala Kiatro Nessa. Bye. One, two, three, four.